Hola, soy Miguel Maltos Gonzalez, coming back to you on Firme, the podcast chronicling the the very being of Chicanoism in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. What is it like to be brown in a white town? Well, here you go. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked a little bit about where I'm from, uh, what's inspired me, and what I currently experience being a Chicano in today's today's world of titles and labels and identifying identities. There's so much, so much going on. And it's like we all have a, a tough time accepting the fact that other people identify as other things and um, that respect that should come along with it you know so and typically it's involving gender because I feel a lot of our cultures regardless of where we're from a lot of our Spanish-speaking cultures there is a lot of this machismo going on it's very toxic. It's very, you know, muy macho. Quien es más macho? <laughs> you know, it's almost like a really bad game. Quien es más macho? Tony Lama or Ricardo Montalban? Quien es más macho? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a game, man. It's like, who can be the toughest, most manliest, mannish man? You know, and it's, it's ridiculous. It's just silly. You know, it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. It's one thing that, that my son and I, we never really discuss, you know, the whole concept of a man. What, what does it take to be a man? And one of his friends came over and his friend got hurt helping us do some yard work because he's just there and so I'm like ponte a limpiar la yarda man get to it clean it so you know we we put him to work and uh, he hurt himself and I was like hey I said go uh, clean that up put a band-aid on it man I don't want you to get infected or anything because I want to chop it off and he's like no it's okay when you're a real man you bleed and I was like oh really well come here I'll make you a real man right now. Come on, fool. <laughs> you know, and it's like that, well, it, it, when you do this, you're a real man. It kind of concept. It's like, no, 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 no. Do you even know what, and again, at his age, he's barely a teenager. It's like, dude, whoever's telling you this is not setting you up for success in the world. I'm sorry, but I have to say it. And it's like, uh, to be a, a man doesn't mean that you can take a harder hit. It doesn't mean that you bleed more. It doesn't mean that you have more scars. You know, when you're a man, that means that you're willing to own up to the responsibilities that you have in your life. Notice how I didn't say anything about gender. Okay? You own up to the responsibilities you have in your life. It doesn't matter if you're a man. Your woman, 
queer, trans, what have you. doesn't matter what you feel you are. When you own up to your responsibilities, that is when you are responsible. That is when you have matured enough to say, you know what? Life gives me challenges that you know what? I can beat them because I'm stronger than life. Yeah, when you can be stronger than life and the challenges it gives you, that's when you earn the title of being a woman, being a man, being a queer man. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. That's when you've reached your your emotional, maybe social maturity. And um, <coughs> that is, <coughs> whoa, don't know where that came from. Sorry, better measle. <laughs> that is when you, that's one thing I, I do talk to my son about is that it doesn't matter how, how mannish you are, you know, how much you shave. Uh, you know, I started shaving when I was 13. Yeah, well, I started shaving when I was eight. Beat that. I started shaving when I was five. Yeah, I had a full beard when I was three. You know, stupid stuff. It's that, you know, my scar is bigger than your scar. Yeah, it's that stupid playground machismo. But, you know, just it's in that, that stupid mentality. I can't, I can't tolerate it. You know, I grew up with that at my school. In my elementary school, my middle school, my high school. Saw it all over the place. And that's why I wanted so badly to get out of that mandatory education because I was like, you know, these people, these guys, uh, they just don't understand. And when I speak with my son about, you know, maturity and such, it's always from the perspective of when you can look at your challenge dead on and move forward through it. Sometimes that challenge will beat you. It will overcome you. And you'll lose to it. You won't succeed. And that's okay. Because now you've just learned what not to do when that similar challenge comes back to you in your life. Which it will. Oh, yeah. But when you do beat that challenge, you don't go shooting a gun in the air Say, whoop, whoop in your face. Made you my bitch. No. When you beat that challenge, you don't need to get all hoopla. You just remember and say, all right. I put that one in the back. I know what to do. Leveling up. <laughs> As I told him, he's a gamer. So I was like, leveling up, son. You, you're now improving. And you're becoming a more mature, more educated individual because education is far more than the academic sense of attending a class for a grade to move to the next level it's it's there's far more in education than that i mean not not to discount that of course that is important however however worldly education street education social education those are all skills that we need to work with because we are social we work with other people no matter what we do we will be involved with other people and depending upon our jobs 
we're engaging with kids, we're engaging with adults, we're engaging with both, engaging with people older than this, people that have some form of a different ability than us. But yeah, we're engaged with people. We're a, a people people. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, that's one thing that I've taught him or hope to be teaching him. Hope he's learning. That'd be... Same thing with the girls. I hope I've taught them that. Sometimes you're going to have to deal with people. Can't always talk to them by the phone. Can't always text them. Sometimes you got to put your face right in their face and say, hey, don't overlook me. Don't underestimate me because I'm a female. Because when you do underestimate me, I'm overtaking you. I'm conquering you. Food. So yeah, when it comes to when it comes to that, there have been some, some challenges in our own family. Like many. You know, and and that's just something we have to work through. And we can work through it together. That's one thing about being a bicultural family that is a little different than most. That whole machismo attitude where the father, the quote-unquote father, demands and expects respect. You know, and the mother demands and expects respect. You will respect me because I'm your father. Oh, because made me not you will respect me because I educate you because I love you because I'm going to push you hard so that you succeed far more than I ever could yeah there's a difference now there are some fathers out there that you know you've got you know, your kids. I mean, your kids are joking around with each other. They're saying things. They're, uh, you know, they're they're being kids. They're kidding around. They're joking around. And then the father steps in. And he says how we all have to get along. He says how we all have to, you know, treat each other with respect. And just love each other. And you do what I say. <laughs> and there comes that. You do what I say because I'm your father. And you're like, but wait a minute. Why don't you respect us? Why don't you love us? And besides, we're kidding around. It's not like I'm wanting my... Not like my goal is to make her cry or anything or to make him mad at me. You know, there's, there's a lot of difference. Growing up the way I did, I was 10 years younger than my siblings. So they were, they had their family and their life. And I was, I was, you know, down at the, the beginning of my life, a little kid, way down there. You know, they were already in, in middle school and high school when I was born. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was difficult. It's kind of like I was an only child in a way. That's really interesting. And for those of you that have a, a similar lifestyle, you'll understand. You'll get it. You'll be like, yeah, it was crazy because, you know, by the time I was growing up and able to really 
talk with them and interact with them, they were gone. They were out of the house. They were married. They had kids. Uh, they were away at college. Uh, they moved out of the house. They had a job. You know, and it, it, it was different. Or, who knows? Maybe, maybe there are some of them kids that never quite left the house. That's another thing <laughs> about Mexican families is that you don't leave the house till you're married, especially when you're, you're a girl, when you're a woman. Yeah, you don't leave the house till you're married. But for a guy, again, it's that machismo concept. A man comes and goes as he wishes. Yeah. The boys do no wrong. Mijo santo. Raise your hand if you've ever been called mijo santo. Or mijo de mi alma. There is no such phrase I've ever heard as mija de mi alma. Mijita santita. No, I've never heard those before. (laughs) No way, man. Yeah, that's where the inequity of having a family and, and having this family just, it's not balance. It's not. That's one thing that I will tell you that I guess you could say Latinx families, Latino families, they they tend to follow that, that format. And I just, I don't get it. I do not understand why. It needs to be like that. So, one of the things I was thinking the other day as we were on a Zoom family chat with our daughters, grandparents, and my sisters, my sister-in-laws, I mean, all scattered across the country. We were talking the other day and just whatever. And I noticed, you know, it's kind of interesting how all of us to get together, but in a way we're still separate. Because, well, the grandparents, when they're speaking, nobody really gets to say anything. It's hard to interact in a conversation, and especially in Zoom. It's, it's a little hard to. And when the kids were talking, the grandparents would get up and leave and then they would come back to see if the kids were still talking and I thought well why don't they just stay here with us and that you know we can all interact together all be on the same page so to speak but no no I just noticed it was weird I thought it was strange I don't understand why I'm going to have to find out but um yeah it's just one of those things about about Mexican-American families, about Latino families. It's a slightly different structure. And I'm not saying that white families, black families, Asian families, I can't say they're not the same. I'm not saying we're unique and, and special. No, we're not. No. But this is just my experience. This is my background that I'm sharing with you. For those of you that can relate or who've never experienced this so you can learn with us which is the kind of the whole purpose of my my podcast effort to 
to share what it's like being a Chicano artist. Yeah. One thing about creating the art that I do is I, I take a photograph or I take a person in, in a scenery, I take a photograph of that and then I would draw over the person and I, I draw them and I create their skin color accurately, their hair color the drawing is not lifelike. It's not, you know, perfectly detailed because no one's perfect. It It's flawed because we're flawed. And features are highlighted, shadow shaded, and you see, you see a different person, you know. And these people that I draw, they're people that I know. There are people that are Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, people that have immigrated to the U.S. There are people that were born in the U.S., but they are bicultural people. And in all this, a lot of the collectors that I had when I was in San Antonio they would see this work and they would realize, oh wow, you know, that's, I, I, I see that. And I talk about biculturalism and they already knew what it was to be bicultural because that's what the majority of the city was. So looking at my work there, it just would flow. I could create so much. Everything, I was immersed in it, it was beautiful. Coming up to the Pacific Northwest, being so disconnected from my bicultural community, my bilingual community, that it's not easy to create. It's 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 hard to find that inspiration. It's hard to find the people. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find the people to, to draw. So, you know, what I do is I have my camera with me all the time as I have it with me right now by my side and I drive through the fog that's so damn thick <laughs> I've got front headlights on I got fog lights on I got fog lights on in the back of my rig and I'm driving and it's it's pretty dang foggy as it rained yesterday supposedly rained and it, it dribbled and it's all we're talking about damaging rain it's like well, it's damaging of your paper but anyway so I, I I take my camera everywhere I go I currently photograph with a Leica M4 rangefinder camera I have two lenses I have a 90 millimeter uh, f2.8 Elmerit lens and I have a 35mm f1.7 lens. And I'm looking to buy a wider angle lens. Possibly a 21mm super angle one. But anyhow, I carry my camera with me. In hopes to capture something. In hopes that I will find inspiration in this town. And I have a few times. I have. 
but I mean, I just never know when I'm going to be ready. But it's far and few. I can't make as much art here because it's so white that I really have to, to look inward and I really have to focus on me and I have to listen to my music. Sometimes it's conversations with my wife or with my son, my family that inspire me. In most cases, that's what it is that inspires me to create. And I get a bug and I just get into to drawing my photographs and I go through my negatives and I scan and before you know it I've got a good three or four pieces done but it takes time to get there yeah so my artwork it's it's not quite the same as it was in San Anto it's evolved I'm making less of it here but I'm pushing myself to continue so that's one thing that has changed a little bit in my art but it's me too yeah because I've changed as a person now I'm not just solely as an artist but now an arts administrator yeah as an arts commissioner for the city of Spokane um, there's a lot to be done and then being on the board of Arts Administrative Colored Network in D.C., there's there's a lot to do with them as well. And as I meet more people, interestingly enough, as I meet people that are not in Spokane, <laughs> yeah, I meet people outside of Spokane that are ready to collaborate and work and hear what I have to say. And I've been invited to several speaking opportunities to talk about culture, to talk about what it looks like today and what it'll become for us where we're going but here in Spokane it's so centered in whiteness that they they stick with themselves and they don't they it's hard for them to to open up and invite others you know having a seat at the table is one thing but sometimes you got to shake up that shit and you got to speak and you got to say what you need to say what must be said because it needs to be heard and that's that's what needs to happen when it comes to the people of color in Spokane is that they need they need to speak up and they've been silenced for so long that it's hard to to get them to speak up sometimes that's you know something we need to work on so yeah yeah we'll come back we'll talk more about culture and art and how that's different from from not having culture and art so we'll talk about that on our next episode thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate your your ear your mind opening to me I appreciate it so until then until we talk again I say to you bueno Thank you.